InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. No matter whether kids are highly motivated or they lack motivation, many of them today are simply stressed out. An education expert has helpful advice for parents. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. We're joined by Ned Johnson. He's a motivational coach who runs an elite tutoring service in the Washington, D.C. area. And he's the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Can you explain some of the things that you notice changing in today's young people that cause you to write this book? Well, we see what we think of as an epidemic of kids struggling with stress-related illnesses of anxiety and depression, and also an equally large cohort who are struggling with what we describe as disordered motivation, who either are really completely passive and resigned and can't seem to motivate them to do anything, or who are so completely driven that they're making themselves nuts and we have to peel them off the wall. Both these are really big concerns, and we think that both of them, the science suggests that a low sense of control is both a cause of that and creating a sense of control part of the solution to those problems. So what are some of the factors that you believe are causing more stress in today's kids? Well, it's a great question, and nobody really knows exactly. And part of it is it may be a little bit of the straw that breaks the camel's back. Certainly, kids today are five to eight times more likely to be stressed than kids were even during the Great Depression or the Second World War. Technology is certainly implicated in part because it's causing kind of an epidemic of sleep insufficiency in kids, and that's really hard on developing brains. And also the kind of digital world is making it where I have to not only pay attention to my relationship with you and what I'm doing day in day basis, but I have a whole second life online that I have to be paying attention to. And this what we call a cognitive load. So how many things do you have to think about? It can be overwhelming to brains, but also what's called an external versus an internal locus of control. I do a whole lot better when I can control things myself, when there are things that impact me, that matter to me, but I can't really control, like, say, the Internet. It's really, really stressful. I think many parents would certainly agree that cell phones are a factor that have not been helpful in getting teenagers motivated. A lot of kids spend hours just laying on their beds with their phones rather than doing other things. What are your thoughts about that? We're not Luddites, and we recognize that cell phones are here to stay. But our point is exactly yours, that there's a lot that's given up if I spend all my time with my face in a screen. I'm spending less time face-to-face with my friends or my families. I'm maybe less likely to get exercise, less likely to do extracurricular activities or hobbies that are really valuable to me. And so we're very much concerned about what's given up. And the other piece to it is what is not happening if you're constantly busy. There's some relatively new research on what's called the default mode network. And it's a whole system of parts of the brain that activate when we're not actively doing anything, when we're daydreaming, when we're meditating. And the research shows that this is all about perspective taking. I reflect on myself, I reflect on my world, I reflect on people around me. And it's how I make sense of myself in the world. And it's just really, really important work. It's a huge part of the adolescence, right? I mean, every teenage angst song written is really about kids struggling with those issues. And the process of struggling is so important. But if I'm constantly with a phone and I'm never, ever bored, kids are depriving themselves of that really important work of adolescence. 
Ned, you know that there are different types of stress, some of it actually positive. Can you give us some examples of positive versus negative stress? If you and I wanted to play tennis and you're really good and I'm lousy, I'm not going to be good enough to get you to even play your best tennis because I'm just not very good, right? But if I'm really good and maybe we have a friendly rivalry going, ideally you feel butterflies before that match and you really get up for that. So basically positive stress is excitement. Tolerable stress is stuff that's hard but you get through. You don't wish it upon yourself, but having gone through it, you can reflect and say, wow, I'm pretty capable because I was able to get through that, ideally with support from people who care about me, most notably parents, of course. Toxic stress is a stressor that overwhelms me. It's more than I can handle. I don't know what to do. I don't see how to get out of this. Or it's a stressor that's chronic that never, ever ends, and I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so our job as parents is to notice what's exciting and let kids do more of that, what's tolerable, and we don't take that challenge away from them. We say, I'm here to support you. Can I help you? And then if it's something that looks overwhelming, we just step right between the kid and the stressor and say, this one's on me. Our guest on InfoTrack is Ned Johnson. He's a motivational coach and the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Can you give us some examples of how parents can do that? Gosh, it's all over the place. A lot of my work is with kids in school and taking standardized tests. And I had this girl, fantastic student, and she talked about how when she got to high school, she said, my parents have always trusted me to take care of my own school. But when I got to junior year, they turned on me. So what do you mean? So, well, I was kind of a 92 average all the way through, and they say, but if you worked harder, you know, a 94 would be better. And she looks at me, she says, what kind of a dope do they think I am? Like, I don't know that a 94 is better than a 92. And she said it was so hard because the more they leaned on me, it was harder for me to motivate myself. And so we say any opportunity, we want it to be kid-driven and adult-supported. And her parents are feeling anxious. And what they should have done is say, sweetheart, we know how hard you're working for junior year. Is there anything that we can do to help this go better? And so whether this is school, whether this is an extracurricular activity, say, I know there's this club team. Would you like to try out for that? Yeah, I think I would. Would you like me to find someone who's an older teen or maybe get you a coach and help you support in that? No, I think I'll do it on my own. Okay, then that's it. We think, and the science shows, it's a terrible idea to force onto kids help that they don't want. How do we know if they want them? It's just respectful to ask them, hey, would you like my help with that? No, Dad, I got it. Okay, I'll step back. It seems like most of your advice certainly applies to teenagers, but at what age do you think that this is practical for parents to start to apply? I think at the earliest possible age. I mean, you know, we don't start with three-year-olds asking, you know, do you want to drive the car or not? We start saying, do you want to wear this shirt or that shirt? Would you like this vegetable or that vegetable? And even if there are things that really aren't a big deal, we're giving kids an opportunity to feel that their choices matter. You know, do you want to take a bath before dinner or after dinner? And we're just training kids to think about themselves and not just respond reflexively to every authority that's around them. And we're not saying that we as parents step away and let a three-year-old run the household. That's a remarkably poor idea for us and most of all for the three-year-olds. But as much as it seems appropriate, we want to give kids choices so that they're thinking about themselves and developing step-by-step, baby steps, the ability to make decisions for themselves and giving them the message that they are the experts on themselves They pay attention to what they like and what they don't like. If there's one thing that you'd like parents to take away from this book, what would it be? Put your own oxygen mask on first. (laughs) Kids, when they're stressed, are looking for help. 
Ideally, that's mom and dad. But if my daughter comes home and she's upset about a breakup with a boyfriend or a test went poorly, and I catastrophize over, oh my gosh, how could you do that poorly? Or what do you mean you broke it? I'm going to go get that. I'm really sidelining myself. My daughter's getting the message, oh, geez, don't go talk to dad when something's really going poorly because he's going to totally lose it. And she's going to go and talk to other people. But the science shows that the perfect model for developing resilience in kids is that they take on these positive or these tolerable stressors as much as they can, and then they come home to a safe base where mom or dad are as non-anxious as possible. And we say, there, there, there. Hey, how can I help? And then they go, okay, okay, I feel so much better. And then they go out and they try it again. And the stress recovers, stress recovers what we want. When we're helicopter parents, we constantly look for possible threats and we try to eliminate them before they even affect our kid. And because we're in the state of hypervigilance, we are like sentries. We're not relaxed. And so home is not a safe base. It's not a place where kids can relax. So if we as parents can really work to calm our own fears, we're so much more effective in helping our kids. Ned Johnson, motivational coach and the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Ned, do you have a website? We do. It is theselfdrivenchild.com. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.